Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, I, I'm uh, feeling a little fired up, to be honest. Mm. Fired up, huh? Yes. Uh, just I for just a change? Want... <laughs> <laughs> Usually it, it, I, get, I get fired up about 10 minutes into the podcast or so when you say uh, something remarkably silly like you did last week. <laughs> <laughs> Snap. Uh, we, we, I think we definitely set a record for feedback. I um, know. Wow. The, the internet lit up after last week's episode. It was awesome. Yeah, and some of yeah, it was no. amazing feedback too. Yeah, no, I, we got, I mean, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 maybe more pieces of, of mail um, and then a, a massive thread, like an extensive thread on the strategic forums. The forums um, were amazing. Like uh, that some of the thinking that goes into those forums, I, I, I mean, put aside the daily updates. I, I'm almost, I'd almost recommend people subscribe just to hear, to read some of the threads on the forums. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is it's like, forum software from like 15 years ago. But yeah, it feels like I'm back in like the early 2000s having flame wars with <laughs> Windows users. That's what it reminds me of. No, I, that's a long-term project to get like something modern there. Um, it, it's, it's a much harder problem actually than, than, I mean, the main problem is getting incorporated with like the membership system and stuff. But um, mm. but that said, I've been very pleased with how with how that that's turned out. Totally. Um, so it was great. I mean, I, when I was gone in China, I mean, I just... Uh, uh, there, it, it was didn't have that much time, so I wasn't able to really be on there. Usually, I try to you know participate constantly, but it's great to come back and there's just like you know several hundred posts since I had been gone. So it's great to see it kind of starting to take off. But mo- and probably a lot of it um, of, of those posts were definitely due to uh, your your intransigence, um, transigence, <laughs> transience. I, 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 I can't I can't pronounce anything. Well, you can, but it's only uh, uh, Xiaomi. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which which I did actually pronounce wrong. I got the tones wrong. Um, but uh, I know I taught you that last week, but I actually ended up cutting it. Uh, anyhow, uh, so we, we had a lot of feedback. Um, I, I thought it might be useful. Um, we don't want to spend an, another episode on that just because I'm sure we could go on again. Mm. But <laughs> no. uh, given the feedback, uh, it, I, I say we each get like, a one take on like summarizing our position as it is. And then, and then we'll leave it for now. But I, although I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll come back at some point. Yeah. I, um, I, I think that sounds good. I, I think, I think there was one thing in particular that I felt um, bad about not mentioning, which was Disney. And I think you raised it. Um, you raised it in the context of Disneyland, but Disney's actually, a pretty instructive example of of what I'm talking about um, because they relied so much on work that had been in the public domain for so much of what they've done. And nothing, to my mind, nothing is ever going to go back into the public domain again that was created after Mickey Mouse. Like the way that that the the copyright laws are unfolding is 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 just going to prevent that from happening. And Again, this seems like a very conceptual argument until you realize that a whole bunch of all the content that Disney created possibly wouldn't be in existence were they subject to 21st century copyright laws. And I I, I saw that in the forums. We had a couple of emails about it, and I I knew that. And to not raise that argument was, was remiss of me because I feel like it's a fantastic argument explaining the, the, the one of the costs of doing this. Uh, the other thing that I, I, I mean, I probably should have raised was just like that there are industries that function really well in the absence of copyright. Fashion is one. Now, I recognize this is, um, these are physical goods, but um, th- th- there aren't strict fashion, there aren't strict copyright laws in fashion. And so people copy and innovation happens. It's not like people say, oh, I get copied, I stop, I go home. Um, another another great example where copying does happen and it's not physical goods is Bollywood. I mean, it has a thriving a thriving movie industry, and you know, piracy is rampant in India. I just I don't believe that um, I don't believe that it would stop um, stop innovation, stop creative endeavors, and I, I think that there's actually a case to be made that it it would cause it to flourish, and in the same way that. People say, "Well, you you eliminate copyright, and 
like people will stop doing this. I, I, I think copyright, it's always been like this since we've been alive. I think there's actually an argument to be made, well, no one's actually proven there's a benefit from it. And to remove it, I think would, you know, like people say there's no counterfactual, but I, I, I mean, there are historic examples like in Germany and England that someone raised that was really interesting, but I, I'm just remain unconvinced. And yeah, I, th- those, those couple of points I, I feel I should have brought up last week. I, well, and well, for my part, I, I thought that um, I, I was confused because I thought I was very clear last week that um, a lot of folks seem to take my position as agreeing with this absolutist, uh, no fair use, total lockdown. When I thought I was pretty clear, and I'll, I'll be clear right now, that one, I think there should be way more liberal fair use guidelines. Mm. Um, and two, uh, I think the the arguments I'm much more amenable to the arguments about the kind of long term extension of copyright and that's pro- and why that's problematic. I think that 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 touches on your Disney point and that that that's one I was more um, I tend to agree. I mean, like the original is what 14 years plus 14 years. Um, you know, that's that ought to be you know more more than enough. And and I was more raising that I think as, as a in the in the part of the argument as kind of a, a devil's advocate point, so um, mm-hmm. I I thought it was a little unfair that a lot of folks kind of painted me as the defenders of of copyright abuse. Uh, that said, uh, I, I to me there's there's no evidence that creation has been stymied. I mean, there's 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 a tremendous amount of stuff out there, even in the current regime, um, which I guess you could, you could use that argument for both of our positions, which is kind mm-hmm. of interesting. Um, but more broadly, I, again, my, my, if I could summarize where I'm coming from, uh, I, any sort of government enforced limitation, uh, is a trade-off between, uh, protecting the creator and, and kind of spurring innovation broadly. It's like a, it's balancing the individual versus the society. And again, that's where, that's where my thinking on all this stuff comes from with patents. I think, especially in technology, I think that uh, there's already enough reason to create. We don't need a government-granted one as well. And there's a lot of detriment to society by having those limitations in place. With copyright, I think it's different. I mean, yes, it's great that Disney used stuff in the public domain. It would be great if people created what Toy Story spin-ups, whatever people want, want, want to do. At the same time, uh, uh, well, certainly the development of culture and all that stuff is very important. I, I it feels a little entitled to me. It's like, why, why can't you go create your own thing? Why do you have to use theirs to start? Um, and like, I, I don't see society being harmed by uh, this protection being granted like, the way I do with patents. Um, anyhow, I, I think I, I think probably like with most things, when you get in an argument uh, because it's one-on-one, uh, it, it ends up coming across as being um, more mm. more black and white. When the reality is, I think it's I think it's gray. I I certainly think we're on different sides of the median. Mm. But I, I I mean I think you're if anything you're I think you're probably a little more extreme than I am, um, which is fine. I, it's an, it was certainly a provocative position. But uh, you know if if anything, <laughs> if there's one thing we pride ourselves on, it's 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 trying to figure out just how gray something is as opposed to, <laughs> to how black and white it might be. I I I think your your point on like each of us getting one say is probably fair on this. Otherwise, we're going to go back down the rabbit hole. So you're <laughs> well, going to get the last word. <laughs> you know, well, there is what I do want to say on the on the great point. I've gotten a couple like very uh, stern pieces of feedback. We actually got a piece uh, a review on the iTunes Store too, um, basically saying calling us like <laughs> me, especially like basically almost almost like a bad person because of my position about uh, like workers' rights and. Saying saying oh, that wow. people are nationalists or racist, they don't agree with that. That, that I mean, it's it, it was it, much more nuanced than that. That's I, 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 well, I'd like I'd like to think so. And so I just let me. I mean, I we I've said this a couple podcasts now, but I, I think it's worth saying again when it comes to things like workers' rights in the developing world versus the developed world. Uh, on an on an absolute basis, in isolation, of course, I'm against uh, abusing workers. Of course, I'm against people working too long or in bad conditions. Of course, I'm against pollution. Of course, I'm against all these things. But I, the point that I, that I think we've been trying to make is you can't look at these things in isolation. Like you have to look at it. You have to look at it, not just a moment in time. There's the moment in time where it's the person in that factory with a job that sucks 
compared to being on a farm and barely having enough food to survive. Mm-hmm. If you look at it just in that, in that it, it's much more murky. And it's even more murky if you look at it over time, where you realize maybe it's arguably even a step down or, or a lateral step to go from the farm to the crappy factory. But the crappy factory uh, starts to starts a positive economic cycle that whiffs the tide for everyone. And, and so in 10 years, that factory is way less crappy. And that's exactly what has happened in China. And, and, and so when I say that uh, you can't just you can't just prob- click your fingers and make it better, right? There's right, a long, right. hard slog to get out of it. Exactly, and, and and I think and and I by no means am justifying the mistreatment of workers or or anything like that. I it's it's just that there is no magic solution here, and the weight of historical evidence, not just in China but also in the United States and also in England and also in all the other countries that industrialized. They all went through this kind of brutal period, and yes, it would be better if the, if it, things weren't like that. But but that's that's kind of the way the world works. For unfortunately, like, there's lots of bad stuff that happens in the world, and I, for one, am an optimist and am pleased that, on balance, I believe that the world is becoming a better place. I believe China is becoming a better place. I believe that England and the U.S. have become better places, and quite frankly. I think there's a good chance in a hundred years we'll look back and think about how crappily we treated people today. I mean, think about like the way we treat families, the way we treat women, or the way we treat uh, you know people of color, even even today, or the way we treat you know gays and lesbians even 10, 15 years ago. Look how much it's improved, and we're gonna look forward. Our children are gonna look at us and think about how barbaric we were, and that's a great thing. And and I'm encouraged that that I look back at my parents' generation, look back at my grandparents' generation, my great grandparents. And I feel if I look at things objectively, look at all these factors that we are in a better place and, and that it'd be great if we could get to heaven right away. Mm. But the the reality is, is every attempt to get to heaven immediately has actually made things far, far worse, like revolutionary change and like overthrowing stuff to make a better world. That's that history has shown us. That's a recipe for, for disaster and famine and, and, What's the word where you kill lots of people? Um, genocide. Uh, genocide. Like it's, it's, I'm far more comfortable with muddling along mm. than I am with uh, snapping my fingers and making the world a better place. Or on the flip side, putting my head in the sand and just saying it, it's not right. It's not right. And so again, I'm not trying to judge people who've emailed me or sent comments or anything. I'm just trying to say like, uh, well, I, I guess I'm defending myself a bit, but I, I hope <laughs> I hope it it's taken of a piece with all the stuff we do on this podcast and the way we try to wrestle with yeah. these different Look, issues. Here's the thing. I think um, I, these are difficult things to talk about. And I think you, you just, whenever you raise these topics, you're going to piss people off and there's no way about it. And I, I don't think, I certainly don't seek to do it. And I don't think you seek to do it. But there's just no way around it. Um, yeah, and th- that said, I mean, I, I, we're doing this, you know, ext- extemporaneously. Like we're we're talking; it's live. It's not like writing a piece where you go back and edit it right. and and polish stuff down and make it make sure you cover your bases. So mm-hmm. I guess you know I've said this before. I'll say it again. I think we both treasure the opportunity to do this sort of exploration. Mm-hmm. And what I guess we ask for you, our audience, is a little grace and assumption that. Uh, Best we're coming intent. at yeah, we're coming at this from 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 a positive place, and I, I really felt some of the feedback this week was wasn't in that spirit, and so um, I hear it, I, I accept it, but I, I hope that there can be a a kind of fair exchange here, if that makes sense. Totally, totally. Um, and I'm totally. not calling anyone a racist, or <laughs> I mean, I don't, what, I don't, whatever. Yeah, let's not go there. Um, you wrote something really interesting today on trickle down technology uh relating to jeffrey moore's book crossing the chasm do you want to talk about that for a little bit uh just a bit i because mean, i definitely want to get to some of this microsoft stuff that has me has me a little ramped up here but um i'm, but, I'm dragging it out you told me what's <laughs> got you fired up so we're going to talk about everything else other than that first yeah you're trying to tamp me down um <laughs> just you're not drinking coffee are you i am of course I am. oh dear i always oh, I'm, I'm, up before we start but i'm I did in t- for it aren't i I already took the garbage out, so we won't have any. I'm worried that people who jump into our podcast now, like are are uh, what is it, of of whatever of like inside jokes, are are getting a little too deep at this point. But uh, 
We'll have to give them the bingo card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll change that to our cover art. Yeah, that's right. It was actually sorry, someone on Twitter today it was like, oh, I'm going through I'm going through the back episodes of Exponent and Ben really over indexes on over indexing. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, it's a known issue. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It, well, at this point, it's more of a feature than a bug, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, so, uh, yeah, so basically, um, I mean, one thing that was really, uh, I've been trying to understand more about, you know, especially with going to Xiaomi last week. Um, and, uh, you know, I wrote about a lot in in, in the daily update and, and had a really interesting interview with, with Hugo Barra. That was fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Um, but it's like it's trying to understand how how have they built this brand, right? I wrote on, on Xiaomi's ambition that they've they've built this powerful brand and they have they have their legions of fans. But that but it's kind of like uh, the the, no, the sock collecting gnome, right? It's mm. like get socks question mark question mark question mark profit, right? Like it's like build a brand or or decide to build a brand to do a profit. Like how like how did they actually <laughs> do it? And um and you think back to uh. You know, so yeah, you think back to the classic piece, uh, uh, cross crossing the chasm, the te- idea of the technology adoption life cycle, and the idea is you start with uh, the enthusiasts who will try anything, then you get the visionaries who 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 listen to the enthusiasts, but they're they're kind of like more broad minded, and so it's not just that they try new technology, but they immediately start thinking about how can this technology be applied, and so they're the ones that really kind of like make a business out of the technology in a lot of ways. And then the next is the pragmatists who, once they see it working for this new kind of idea, like they'll adopt it. And that's a very large group. And then is the conservatives who they're, they're really hesitant. They always see the downside. They're, they're resistant to change. Um, they, they don't like new technology. They've had bad experiences with it. But once like half the market is already gone, like they kind of have no choice but to go along. Um, and then there's the skeptics and laggards at the, at the very end. And uh, Jeffrey Moore in this you know, classic book, and it, it, it's, it's a classic for a reason. Um, uh, was really focused on that jump between visionaries and pragmatists, and how you make that jump. Um, the the problem the problem with this framework, though, and all his advice was very useful and stuff like that. Um, but the the problem with this framework is it was uh written in 1991, and I think in 1991 the world of technology was very different. Mm. And it was different for two reasons. One, uh, it was just way smaller. Right, I like there. There's weren't that many people buying technological products in 1991, uh, and two, the the ones that were buying them were all businesses, primarily in developed countries. So uh, a lot of the prescriptions, like he talks a lot about selling to IT, like almost all of it's about selling to IT managers. And like in 1991, those are the people that bought everything. And this kind of leads to Microsoft. Like the reason why Microsoft was so successful was that Microsoft owned the IT manager. And the IT manager wanted to build the Microsoft stack, wanted to build everything on there. And like they they were the, they were the, they locked up the pragmatists and the conservatives. And and very profitably so. Um the problem though, when you come to day, you think about you think about something like smartphones. There are an estimated two billion smartphones in use today. To like just just a just a, a astonishing number, mm. and by so by so if you think about it, where are we on the adoption cycle when it comes to smartphones? Surely we're past the enthusiasts and visionaries, um, and surely we're past the pragmatists and we get in, into the conservatives. Mm. Um, and it's but the problem is neither Apple nor Xiaomi makes sense. Their success doesn't make sense because uh, according to more, the farther you get down, the more like people just worry about it's really all about price and like in and fitting in and if you think about that a company like samsung actually should be better suited there their stuff's available everywhere um it it mostly you know works with stuff it has android play it has the apps you need they're available at all price points um they have marketing everywhere like they're doing broad-based marketing to raise brand awareness like samsung is following the, the 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 more playbook in a lot of ways for reaching i think um this kind of middle part of the market Yet they're really slumping in the face of Apple selling uh, super expensive phones and still growing, um, and Xiaomi basically just obliterating Samsung in China, um, and and with cheap with 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 lower with lower cost phones. Um, but but there's also lots of other low cost phones in China. Why is it Xiaomi specifically? Like, what? Why are they building this allegiance? Like, neither of these two companies really fit uh with with kind of Moore's framework which i think a lot of people rightly so still still really um believe in 
Yeah, so I, I guess the question, so I have I have two questions. One is whether the bell curve actually makes sense in Moore's framework. Um, um, uh, the other thing, the other question I have is whether, uh, so we've talked about it in terms of price, but maybe a better way to think about it is in terms of cost. So when pragmatists and conservatives are, uh, you, 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 they're very value conscious uh, 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 is kind of the way that you've described it and the kind of the implication being we'll only adopt technology when it's cheap. But maybe it's the cost of technology that they're really um, concerned about and part of that cost is the price, but part of the cost is that the technology doesn't work. And when you look at it through that lens, Apple, for example, makes a lot more sense because, yeah, you pay a higher price, but you're, you don't have to pay in terms of running your own systems integration shop. You know, you pull it out of the box and it just works. That, no, exactly. I think that's exactly it. And so I, I framed it just because I've been on this point for a while in the terms of uh, the user experience. Um, and like, that's the part that's missed, but I think that's another way of saying what you're saying. It's like, it's like, it's the entire experience of using a, a, a device and the user experience has additive parts and it has negative parts. And so if you, if something doesn't work well, that's a cost to the user experience. And, and there, I just said the word, it, it, it's a cost. Mm. Yeah. That, I mean, the other thing was that, that got me thinking about this was in, when we start talking about this bell curve in a place like India, I actually wonder whether Xiaomi is actually is the equivalent of Apple in India. Like, well, well, well let's, let's let's back let's back up a second because um, okay, um, let's do one then the other. Uh, okay, because I this is actually something I struggled to write because I think there there are two different parts where the, it breaks down and maybe the, it was a little confusing to have them together. But um, but no, I think you nailed the Apple part. I think what's interesting is uh in. So you, if you look at developed countries, uh, you have Apple uh, increasing its share. Apple's share in the in the U.S. which it's going up. It's increasing. It's it's gaining people, and that 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 shouldn't be happening theoretically if if people are are focused on price. But if you think about the conservative, the, the, who who and again we're all using small c conservative, not political conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about the technological conservative, he just wants stuff to work. She just wants things to, to not make her life worse. Right. And a smartphone is so powerful. It has so many things about it that make your life better that, that everyone has one or needs to get one. But, but I think the conservative in general is very attuned to avoiding those costs, as you said. And Mm. if you look at it in that perspective, suddenly uh, it's actually Apple. That's, that's much more compelling for, for that exact reason. If you don't like technology, if you don't want to deal with it, if you want stuff to quote unquote just work, if you want to be able to go to a store and have someone take care of any problems that you have, like it's it's actually a very easy decision if you look at the whole picture. And so what I think what happened is Samsung really cleaned up among the pragmatists who were really doing kind of an, a plus pros and cons sort of calculation. I can get this much performance for this much price. Mm-hmm. But once we get into the conservatives where I think we are now, uh, Apple's advantages kind of come to the forefront. Uh, and, and, and so I think that's one area where, um, I don't know that more was wrong in, in or the, there's the adoption cycle was, was wrong. I think the willingness to pay of the conservatives was, was very much underestimated. Or, or, or like the definition of how people pay was incorrectly and defined thinking about it only in terms of money. Right. Exactly. No, exactly. And I think this is a common critique I've had. I mean, obviously we've talked about in terms of disruption and stuff like that is that, uh, getting hung up on dollars and cents, uh, is, is, is a great way to, um, to my mind, get, get a little off track because yeah, there's yeah. so many things that can't be put on a, on a spreadsheet. Um, but that really matter and they matter to, and this is the other thing they matter to consumers. Like when you get, when you get into a business where the buyer is not the user, that the relative importance of that stuff kind of falls aside. Um, whereas the dollars kind of rise in prominence, but in the consumer market, I think it's much more, uh, it's much more complex and the other stuff matters a lot more. Mm, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Now you mentioned a second part of the argument, right? So the, the other part is, is, is Xiaomi like, and I think the, mis- the problem here, and this probably applies to a lot of stuff is looking at the whole smartphone market as one. Yeah. And, and I've alluded to this a few times in articles, I think on the podcast that I really think the smartphone market is two markets. 
And and this, I think this really, it really, you know, congealed for me here in this specific argument. And that is, uh, there's some people who could afford an expensive phone, but they don't see the point. And so they just want to spend the minimum amount of money possible. That person who has money but doesn't want to spend it is very different than someone who just doesn't have money. And you could be someone who loves technology, who is super geeky, who wants to keep up on what's going on, who wants to play around with stuff. Yeah. Uh, but you, because you live in you live in a second tier city in China, or you live in India, or or wherever it might be, you don't have the funds to 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 afford a top of the line. That person doesn't want doesn't want the hand me down smartphone that was top of the line a few years ago and now is being sold repackaged by Samsung or Apple selling a three year old or whatever. Um, they they want to be on the cutting edge, and this is what Xiaomi has done. Xiaomi has has explicitly from day one said we're going to offer the best performing phones at a super low price. And, and we're going to build a different sort of business model to make money in different ways. And I think that's why they've, they've gotten these fans because they are instead of just for Samsung, their, their number one focus is the people who pay $650 for a phone. Same thing for Apple, for Xiaomi, their focus is people who, who will stretch to pay $250 for a phone but they're designing for them from day one and everything they do is focused on them. And if you think about it, like why wouldn't you love a company that is expressly uh, designed from the ground up to serve you personally? Mm. So it doesn't, this technology adoption cycle doesn't make sense when you view the world on average, but it still kind of makes sense if you view it within the cultural context of like India and China versus America. Right, exactly. And so I think what, what happens is Xiaomi is is explicitly marketing to the enthusiasts and the visionaries, like the left side of the curve, right? But they're, they're just they're enthusi- doing it with an order of magnitude lower price. Exactly, exactly. And whereas everyone else who's tried to serve the developing market previously, including especially Samsung, has treated them as they as as cheapskates. As as like pragmatists or, or conservatives, even right, exactly, and, and so just because a pragmatist mm. or conservative doesn't want to spend much money, they're a very different customer than someone who doesn't have much money to spend, and th- I think that's kind of the fundamental insight that mm. that Xiaomi has. And if you think about that again, it, now now the reason they've achieved such a, affection and loyalty is mu- is is much more obvious because. Um, if you if you want someone to love you, you need to love them first, right? I mean, I don't know if that's true, but it sounded good in my head. Um, but th- and that's and that's what Xiaomi that's what Xiaomi has done. That makes total sense. That makes that makes total sense. That's really interesting. It's not viewing the world on average. It's recognizing. I mean, I, that's one of the themes that we keep coming up with. It's like every like these these are totally different markets. It's the 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 mechanism seems to be the same. It's just that people don't have as much money to spend, and therefore, like that, the the line for price needs to be an order of magnitude lower. Right. Exactly. And then and you need to have a different business model, right? Right. So Xiaomi sells all online, so they they don't sell through stores, so they can sell cheaper because they don't have a retail markup, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Other other companies who have traditionally sold through stores like Samsung, they can't offer twenty percent lower price online. Also, have channel conflict, right? Their retail partners will be will be pissed at them. Um, and so, but Xiaomi from day one has has had that that cross structure advantage. Uh, Xiaomi has has again they've built up a business assuming they're going to sell more to people than just a smartphone, so they can afford to make a little bit of money in a lot of places instead of trying to you know make all the margin in, in one spot. Like so, there's there's and we've talked about this a lot. It, it makes such a difference when you start yeah. a company for a specific market. You can fashion your incentives. You can fashion your business model exactly to fit that market. Whereas if you're coming in from another market, you're at a fundamental disadvantage because your business was built around a different problem. And now when you're faced with a, another problem, your incentives are all wrong and you're approaching things in, in, in the wrong way. The power of the clean slate. Exactly. Um, I, do you or I want to make the the segue to Microsoft? I think we should jump straight into Microsoft. I think you just made it by asking the question. It was really interesting. Some of this stuff. It's impossible not to start with the headset. What do you think? Well, no, I, I think you should go first um, before I before I've I've uh, I've monologued uh, enough, and um, I'm interested in your take before I because mine's I think already pretty well developed. 
Mm, so I, 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 ju- I jumped on and had a bit of a read beforehand. I am, I'm, so it's going to depend how they bring this to market, right? But I'm a little well, bit so, more- so, so let's back up. So there's a Microsoft just, just uh, yeah, uh, thank you. In the Windows <laughs> 10 kind of announcement, they, uh, among many other things, they, they discussed Windows 10. Um, they discussed, and then they also introduced a couple new products, the Surface Hub, which is kind of like a, almost like the whiteboard of the future in a lot of ways. Um, and then the uh, uh, the holographic headset or HoloLens, um, which basically is not a ho- about holograms at all. It's about basically augmented reality. Yeah, which is which is really interesting. So so this is a hot space, right? Um, we've had Google Glass. We've got Oculus Rift. There's What's that one in Florida called that's raised half a billion dollars, but nobody knows what it does? I have magic. No there's oh yeah 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 um mad uh, whiff no um I know magic reality or something like that it's no it's kind of it's kind of a little bit vaporware but with half a billion dollars it's kind of interesting um it so here's the thing I I saw Google Glass and I was like well Google aren't the right ones to bring this to market and that thing looks ridiculous people wearing it round but like there's something here and I I think Google have announced they're discontinuing it. Um, but that informs a little bit the way I approach this. And I think, I think what Microsoft have done that's smart is I don't think they're positioning this as something that people are going to wear all the time, like Google was with the glass, but rather something that gets worn in specific situations. And I, I think the idea of being able to overlay your, so recognizing that it's not something that's going to be worn all the time has enabled them to build a fully fledged machine as opposed to like a little heads up display trying to make it innocuous and and worn all the time. And the number of situations I think where you'll be able to develop stuff where it would just be helpful to have like an overlay of what's going on, um, I think is actually pretty high. Um, both from from like whether it's a surgeon doing something or um, you, I, I can think there'd be a number of use cases and I think it's kind of interesting from that perspective but it really kind of um, where it, where it was like okay this is a little bit more than than that surface 3d thing that they came out with ages ago and there's been a little bit more thought put into it was when I read that's that they're like they're going to um, integrate it with Minecraft, and all of a sudden, I was like, "Wow, you've got you've you've gone and bought this company that's absolutely addictive in terms of like getting kids engaged in building stuff, and you're going to take it from doing it on the screen to doing it in um, virtual reality or, or augmented reality." And I think the notion of that is actually pretty cool. Now, again, there's the devil's in the details always with this stuff, like how much how much it's going to cost when it comes to market, um, how they're going to think about launching it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm I'm actually kind of bullish on this. I think it's pretty cool. So my response is is quite a bit more uh, meta than that. Okay, and that is I'm uh, I don't understand why they talked about this product today. Oh, so your reaction to this is the same as my reaction to Apple's watch, but let's not go back to that. (laughs) (laughs) Taunting me. (laughs) And the reason I I actually, um, I watched the, I watched the whole presentation uh, and I I thought the first half of the presentation was really interesting and, and really pretty powerful as an articulation of where Microsoft needs, needs to go at, at, as a company. And, and yet no one, uh, wait, wait, can you talk about that? So I, I, I haven't had a chance I, I will, to watch I will, it. I will in a moment. Um, but, uh, uh, but no one is talking about it. Um, everyone's talking about this. Um, mm-hmm. I have thoughts about this, um, which we, we can get to in a second. Um, but, it's it's unfortunate and and it uh i i i found i found it a, a little a little concerning um so basically microsoft and the first part of 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 the presentation um said some said some things that are really interesting and i think really uh, appropriate in the way in the way they want to think about the future and and what they what they talked about was uh being they need to that would be more personal. What they talk about is is Windows and Microsoft services and all this sort of stuff 
uh, needs to be built for a world, uh, and I'm quoting here, needs to be built for a world with more devices than people. The, the mobility of experience matters more than the mobility the mobility of a device. And and what you saw in a lot of these present in a lot of these demos and presentations was the idea that uh, as you as you move around uh, the things in your world, whether it be your phone, whether it be your tablet, whether it be your TV, the idea that it ought to be sort of a seamless experience. And this is exactly, I think, where where Apple's going as well. I mean, um, I think we've talked about this, but but you know, one of the reasons why all this stuff's you know, arguably they had quality problems and all these updates is that Apple is no longer, especially with the most recent updates, no longer selling a phone and an iPad and a PC. They are selling uh, a connected environment where it's all it's not. It's not Mac OS and OS 10 and, and iOS. It's it's an entire experience where and the idea is your stuff and your data and all the things you need ought to move seamlessly from your wrist to your phone to your to your computer. And it's not they're not discrete. They're all one thing. Mm. And I, I think this is very I think this is spot on. I think it's very powerful. And it's something that I wrote about uh, uh, a week and a half ago. I talked about mobile first. The, the 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 key thing with mobile first is is exactly this. It's that the person becomes the center of of the computing experience, not the device. It's not about the PC. It's not. It's about the person and where that and where that where that person goes and stuff should move move with them. And that's exactly what Microsoft articulated. I thought it was very exciting and very interesting. Um, but then why why bring in this other thing that wasn't really about that at all? Like what it, almost like this? Yeah, it was neat. Uh, it was it, it was it was interesting. But it, it's a this augmented reality. I mean, I guess you could you could sketch something out in the very long run that you wear some sort of a goggle everywhere and everything will be augmented, maybe. But that's that that is whatever they're shipping is not going to ship for for a year or two. And that idea that you're going to have it with you all the time, everywhere you go, is is even further in the future. Yeah, I mean, uh, that very good question. Um, uh, perhaps we wouldn't be talking about Microsoft at all were it not for the fact that, or or no, that's probably less fair. But perhaps there wouldn't be anywhere near as many people paying attention to Microsoft right now and what was said as if they hadn't an, an announced this thing. Well, Maybe I, it was. No, I think I think that that's that 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 that's absolutely. There's two things. One, I think way more people are talking about Microsoft and and in a positive light. And yeah, that that's that's a that's fine. That's that's a great thing. Um, two, there's a, the big the big fly in the ointment when it comes to Microsoft's articulation of this vision. Uh, is that they articulated this vision in the context of a Windows 10 event, and uh, while Windows, I think, uh has a role and will continue to have a role on PCs. Um, the, the the ship has sailed for phones. I've been saying this for, for years now. Uh, they're, they're just like the, 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 the OS wars are over, Android and iOS one, and everything interesting is happening on top of that. And you have a part of Microsoft, the, the services part of Microsoft, the, the Azure part of Microsoft, the Office 365 part of Microsoft that has accepted this reality is moving on. The, the dev tools part of Microsoft where I've written in the update, like I think they're, they're developing an entire stack so that enterprises in particular, which again, aren't that concerned with the user experience are, are can basically build apps that will run on all sorts of phones using the Microsoft stack. Um, they could run on iOS, they can run Android. And that's, that, that, that's, comp- that's compelling from a business perspective. There's a lot of money to be made there. There's a big opportunity there. Um, but it's not very sexy from a tech reporter perspective. Um, and, the problem with that is uh, Windows and the need to have Windows on these devices runs counter to that because the, the the way this succeeds is by having your number one priority be iOS, having your number one priority be Android, and having your number one priority be the Windows PCs that 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 still dominate the market, even if it doesn't seem like that in Silicon Valley. So, so uh, let's recognize that these guys don't have the luxury of a clean slate. One thing that absolutely blew my mind was they're talking about giving Windows 10 away for free for a year. 
Well, I mean, I, I don't think it's that interesting because in the reason. But isn't it isn't that recognition at least some of what you're saying? Like when I saw that, I yeah, you, you've been the one that's been talking about Microsoft being vertical and horizontal. Like your your characterization of that was the first time that I'd I'd thought about it that way, and I thought it was a terrific characterization. And this idea that 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 strategy is no longer going to be an effective strategy going forward and given that they've lost the OS wars they should focus on being horizontal and almost being a premium work anywhere application services company that works on iOS or Android or Windows or Linux or whatever right like that makes a lot of sense isn't this Microsoft taking baby steps towards that world by saying you know what previously this was a huge cash cow but now we're going to give it away for free no because they're not making that big of a sacrifice uh, 85 to 90% of Windows revenue has come from the installation of Windows on new PCs. Upgrade revenue has only ever been a fraction of, of the money they've made. So are they giving up meaningful revenue? Yes. Um, there are people that would have paid to upgrade that no longer will. Uh, but the fundamental Windows business model is still intact. Yeah, but it's it's I, I recognize that. I, I I only characterized it as baby steps, but it was baby steps. Oh no, for 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 sure. And 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 it it's good that they're doing that. I, I think the idea of um I kind of got the, it it kind of seemed like they didn't say this explicitly, but that like, you know, talk about Windows as a service and getting up upgrades. I, it's fair to wonder if there will be a Windows eleven, right? Like it, mm. this might be a Windows ten in a um in an OS 10 sort of way, but the OS 10 today where it just, it's just continually upgraded and, and you know, the, the various version theoretically shouldn't, shouldn't matter as much anymore. Um, and that's good. And that's good. That, that makes sense. The, the problem though is, uh, maybe it was almost more the, the rhetoric than any, than anything. It's that Microsoft is right. Microsoft is right about, I, I, I would have liked to have seen this vision articulated, um, much as clearly as it was today, but with with iOS devices and with Android devices, which Microsoft has done in the past, especially you know I think there was a recent keynote at Build or something like that. Like they 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 demonstrate that much more clearly. But I guess it was very frustrating for Satya Nadal to get up there and say that uh, the best experience will be on Windows. We, we we want people to not just need Windows, but to choose Windows and to love Windows, like. Windows, like Windows is an asset in that it generates a lot of money and it gives you a head start on the PC in particular, but it, it, it's a cash cow. And, and I, I'm, I thought Nadella had moved past that and seeing it as that and was focused on the, on the cloud and being on top of the OS layer on all these other devices. And I guess the rhetoric, particularly at the end about like this, you know, we love Windows. Windows is super important. We want this to be the most loved release of Windows. These are like all, all direct, all direct quotes. Um, I, I guess I, I was just frustrated at, at, at this. And it was almost like the, the articulation of the horizontal all devices vision was there, but it was one obscured by this kind of out of the blue device um, and two, like everything was layered on with like windows, windows, windows. Um, and I guess that that's, that's why, that's why I was frustrated. I've lost a little of my vigor. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that, those are words that I don't hear very often. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? I, I it, this was an event where, I mean, I imagine he was preaching to a bunch of the choir too. And, and you know way more about Microsoft than I do. I was, I, again, I'm going to come back to it. I was just shocked that they were willing to give that product away for free. Like I, I and, and yeah, it's a cash cow, but so, all right, let, let, let me ask you a different question. If you were, what, what would you have preferred Nadella to get up there and do today? I thought the first half was, was very solid, showing the stuff works together. Uh, I would have uh, also had a demo of it working with non-Windows. Like, I, I think it was important to articulate because I think the key, I think the key part of Windows is Windows on PC. 
And that's the part that needs to be shored up. And that's the part that that is still a very real business. And so you start out and you have the demo and you talk about this idea of we're no longer, and this is, this is a big, this was, was, was exciting about the first part. Microsoft gets it. They, they, they articulated, it's no longer about the device as the center. It's about the user as the center. And that sounds cliche, but that's actually a very profound way to think about things. A very profound shift when it comes to Microsoft and their business model. And oh, by the way, it uh, basically cuts out the rationale for the surface, I might add. Um, yeah. So I would have, so I love that articulation. And so I, I would approach this starting with Windows. How do we shore up Windows? Windows is facing a threat from things like Chromebooks. The Mac is ascendant to a degree. Um, and I was at Windows, like we, we have this vision of people as the center. And so how do we think about Windows in that context? Well, the fact of the matter is a lot of the stuff that we do, particularly we spend a lot of time. Yes, we spend tons of time on mobile, but there's still a lot of time we spend on our PCs, particularly when it comes to work. And people are very productive on their PCs and they and they do lots of work on there. And we want that work to be available everywhere. So you can do work on your PC and here it is on on your Windows phone. I mean, big picture, I'd like them to dump Windows phone, but whatever, it is what it is. It's a, here it is on Windows phone. But it's not just that. We, we, we realize that Windows is not going anywhere. It's a fundamental part of business today. It's super important. And, and, and we value you and we value your work so much that we've made a commitment as a company that what matters is not us. It's not, it's not us pushing our phones. We, we, we want to offer phones because we think we can build great ones, but it's about you and your data. That's the, that's the priority for us as a company. So here it is working on an iPhone. Here it is working on Android. And the priority for us at Microsoft is, is putting you and your work at the center. And I would have had those demos. I would have shown it's not just that Windows works across devices. It's that Windows works with iOS. Windows works with Android. And I would have been very clear about that. Um, that's like the... I mean that, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean that makes sense. They they are doing that, but they didn't show that. It was correct, it, right? I mean, they, they had they had a big part of that, like the, the articulation of focusing on the person as the center and their stuff as opposed to the device as the center. That's spot on. That's exactly how Microsoft needs to think about things. But they didn't they didn't draw the line all the way through to the rest of their strategy as a company. Like if you viewed their previous. Their previous keynotes where they articulated this, this idea of Azure and the cloud OS and tying stuff together, it, it was like it was two different companies presenting. Like, but it is two different companies presenting. That's exactly the point I was about to make there. And it's your point. It's these are two different companies, and it doesn't surprise me at all that 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 this tension is existing. Exactly. I mean, today, if anything, like reaffirmed, like I know it was a little radical for me last summer to say that Microsoft needs to split, but the, today was a perfect articulation of why. It's because th- this this vision that is, I believe, correct and I think is real and I think is a genuine opportunity for Microsoft is being choked by by Windows. Like it, it's a shame that that the takeaway from today was not Microsoft. Like Microsoft will be kind of your your person, like is for you and your work, and we've moved beyond like just focusing on a device and the box on your desk. That's not the world we live in. We live in a mobile world. To use their word, a mobile first, cloud first world. When I wrote mobile first, the flip side of mobile first is cloud first. It's the, it's what ties everything together. And Microsoft is uniquely suited to, to be the solution here. I mean, Google, uh, it's not just, Google, I think, is obviously much stronger on the consumer side, particularly it's all free and most of it's like pretty good stuff. Um, but particularly when it comes to the, the business side and the productivity side, um, like businesses want to pay a company to take care of them. They don't want to like no business is going to run their, their, their business on ads. And in that area, Google is, is much weaker. And um, Microsoft should have doubled down on this. Like Windows is not going anywhere. Windows is going to be the best operating system for your business, for doing your work, for doing what you need to do. We made these changes, responded to your feedback. Sorry about Windows 8. We kind of like lost our heads there, but we're back. We're making it easy to use. And they talked about this. It's going to be super secure. It's going to be like work best in these corporate environments. Like they, they made like all the points that needed to be made were there and they were, and it was articulated very well by, by Terry Myerson, the, 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 the head of windows. The problem is there was no mention of iOS and Android when that's critical to windows. Like the future of windows is windows working together, tied together by Microsoft's cloud to any device in the world, not just Windows devices. But 
and Microsoft is doing that, but it wasn't articulated. And then it all went off the rails at the end when Nadella came out. And this is the first time I've been really, really disappointed in Nadella because he was going blathering on and on about we don't want people to love Windows. He said love Windows like four or five times. That's like a psychological problem with the company. Like, no, you don't need people to love Windows. You need people to recognize. Like the, he said, he said, we want people, and this is a quote, we want to move people from needing Windows to choosing Windows to loving Windows, to which I ask why. Like the fact people need Windows, that's pretty damn good. Like, let's start there and think about like, like, it's like this weird thing. It's like the need to be loved. Like this, it's like it's almost like a psychological oh. problem. And, and you, in personal relationships, if you have a need to be loved, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Well, I think that works for corporate strategy as well. No, I think that's true. I don't think he was. I mean. My take on that, and again, I, I haven't had a chance to watch the keynote. My take on that was that was not for the benefit of the outside market. That was probably for the benefit of all the people inside of Microsoft who are still working on Windows. But I mean, that, that, that's what leadership is about. It's about like letting people realize that, sorry, Windows, you're not the center of the company anymore because they're not. At least they ought not to be from a strategic perspective. No, but, I agree, but, but it's also this massive cash cow. I, I mean, I, I agree with you, but I he's like stuck in a really nasty spot. I agree, I agree. But in the and this was the crux of my article last summer is that culturally, Windows is still the center of Microsoft, and I and what I wrote that article I think today affirmed that is yeah. I don't I don't it, it's so embedded in Microsoft and like Microsoft's self identity as a company that I don't I. I I just don't know that they could they can break away. And the fact that Nadella, who has offered the most promise and has said so much that that it seems like he it felt like he got it. And yes, he was constrained politically, but at least he, like the company is being nudged inch by inch in a new direction. It was just dispiriting to hear him basically articulate exactly that, um, but particularly when he said it much more strenuously than the head of Windows himself did. Yeah. So here's the thing, right? I I think the number of people that are going to see that keynote, uh, it's, I mean, there are people like you and I who might watch it, but uh, I think a majority of people who are going to go all the way through are going to be people who work at Microsoft. There are going to be developers and whatever. I, I think it was... I, but they're the people, I don't but know. they're the ones who most need to, need to hear the truth. I mean, I... I, I, I get what you're saying, and I, I, I get what you're saying. But short of splitting it off, which is the brave and the right thing to do, and I think you convinced me of it. Given the fact that this is a massive money-making machine inside of Microsoft, like not taking care of morale of something that's generating so much money. Like if you say that, all these people are going to leave. I don't think so. I think you double like. Uh, Microsoft and Microsoft employees, I th I think, and like I mean, obviously, I haven't worked there for a few years, but there's a lot of pride in the fact that um, that Microsoft really did put a computer on every desk and in every home. And yeah, yeah, and yeah it's a bummer that the company didn't put a, a computer in every pocket. But like, I think people know and appreciate that it is what it is, and that's okay because we're gonna like. I think it's a very it's a it's a very positive message to say that. Um, we own this market. We do this market better than anyone. We're doubling down on it. We're going to make the best PC operating system possible. And and the and we have this part of Microsoft, the cloud OS, a term which I wasn't mentioned at all, even though that was the center of their previous keynote. We have the cloud OS that that builds on top of Windows and makes and and makes it way more powerful by by tying together, moving from the device and Windows to to you. We're no longer serving your PC. We're serving you, and we're and we're secure, and we're not selling your data. And you're our customer. You're not you're not our product. Mm. What, which is one of the lines that they used. And like I think that's something that that everyone can can get behind. I, I I'm not when I say split it off. I don't say split it off because it's not an asset. It's an asset. And in ideally, in a theoretically ideal world, they keep it and they use it as a as the foundation of this broader vision to leapfrog to a world where they're only on the PC to a world where they're in the cloud and they're covering everything, one of which is Windows. But the fact that they couldn't, that Nadella couldn't bring himself to articulate that and that there wasn't an iOS, there wasn't an iPhone in this demo, there wasn't an Android device in this demo. Um, it's more, 
frustrating. I mean, yeah, no, it's frustrating. I, 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 I'm thinking back to our, um, I'm thinking back to our earlier debates on like whether big companies or small companies, or big companies or startups, are better able to do innovation. And I don't know. I, I just feel like for a behemoth that's been as successful as this company has been and has as strong a culture as this company has. I'm just massively impressed that he's managed to bring it as far as he has already. No, I I I, I agree, and that's a very and that's a very uh, fair thing to say. And um, and no, I mean it, it's Microsoft. It, it's a textbook example of the struggles that a big company like the the problem with Microsoft. The fundamental core problem with Microsoft is that they were so successful. Yeah, like like had micro, every degree of of less success that Microsoft would have had, that would translate to exponentially more uh, easiness. <laughs> this is the like most mangled sentence ever, but in like in changing, and and it it, it kind of irks me on Twitter. Like I'll post stuff and and people like make snarky comments about Microsoft or why they ever win the first place. Blah blah blah. Like the reality is is that Microsoft uh uh was a strategically very sound company that uh won fair and square and. Um, that's going to piss a lot of people off. But like yeah, that they, is uh, that almost that almost got my back up. <laughs> yeah, you're going to go back to your days of uh, posting. On yeah, forums that's right. Well, it's, you know, it's 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 your forums that reminded me, Ben. Well, well it, it, it's it's an example of from a product perspective. If you only think about the product, then yes, there's lots of things to quibble with for sure. But if you think of like where I approach things from a big picture strategic perspective, like Microsoft just executed beautifully for for like 25 yeah. years. No doubt, and and so uh, I, I approach their strategic conundrums now, and and this criticism is delivered in a, um, you know, it not in a like, man, you suck and you've always sucked perspective. In a man, I can up. Uh, it's you're such a great example of the perils of success, and that's and the criticism is a compliment, if that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. Um. But you successfully managed to dodge the question that I asked earlier. What do you think of that thing that people are going to be sticking over their heads? Uh, I, I think you were. I think you were. Um, I, I think it's interesting. I think there's a. Uh, this is something I think they want right next week. Maybe I'm going to give away now. But I think there's there's two paths. No, not two paths. There's two. Uh, there, yeah, there's two paths for for technology, and um, and I think one is the. One is the destination path where the technology is kind of a destination. It's, it's an appointment. You, you go and you use it. And the other one is a, um, is a companion path where the technology is with you and it helps you in your daily life. And things like uh, video games, for example, are destinations. Uh, movies are, are destinations. And I think things like Oculus Rift and this device are are destinations. And that's interesting. There's good businesses that that can be built there, but not the biggest and best businesses. So that's interesting. I, I, I agree with that characterization just in terms of like the, because it, it, it speaks to the extent to which people are going to spend time with those devices. But the thing that I think is interesting about this versus Oculus Rift is that and and versus Google Glass, whereas Glass started off with the intent that it was always with you and failed because it, it expected people to change too many habits too soon. What's interesting to me about this is I can see this going from a destination to a companion. No, I, I agree. I agree. And I, so I think augmented reality has has much more potential to, in the very long run, be a companion than does virtual reality. I think virtual reality is interesting. Like, and people like think I'm, I'm anti-Oculus Rift. I'm not at all. My only point about Oculus Rift and about virtual reality has ever been that I think it will, it's a destination technology. And that doesn't mean there's not tons of money to be made and not, and it's not compelling. and It's not awesome. It's just that it, it's, it's different than the next platform like like a mobile phone or, or like what a watch potentially could be. Whereas augmented reality, the fact that it is reality, it says it right there in the name. Um, I think we're on the same page. Yeah. And do you know what else is funny about this is 
for the first, I'm I'm glad Microsoft came up with this, and I am in it, like thinking about the business models associated with those two companies. I am much more trusting in terms of of Microsoft creating a device like that that I use on a regular basis than I am about Facebook because Microsoft is, I know how Microsoft, well, I know how Facebook gets its money as well, but I much prefer the world in which I pay Microsoft to get the money and I buy the product from them rather than be the product for Facebook. You know, I, I agree. And, and, and if anything, it, it's something like this that is the argument for, um, for keeping the phone division, for keeping Nokia and stuff like that. And the reason is not because that they're connected and this was probably built by someone else, but it's, it's that you develop, uh, you develop corporate expertise. You develop, mm. the, you know, you learn how to make hardware. You learn how to manage factories in China. You learn how to make things thinner. You learn how you develop channels, like retail channels, to bring hardware to market, which is different than bringing software to market. And totally, and that's if this is by far the best defense for Microsoft muddling along with Windows Phone. Um, it's not that Windows Phone will be a success. It's that they're developing the muscles to to be successful in, in something that, that comes later. I mean, so the, the equivalent characterization is like, this is why this is the value of Apple, quote unquote, muddling along with Mac OS through the 90s. Like it built them, it, it built them the corporate expertise that enabled them to come back, roaring back later on with with iOS and with OS 10 too, I, I guess. Yeah, may, maybe. I mean, I, the thing with Apple is I'd argue, I mean, I, I've said it before, I think Apple has... Um, you know, it's, it's always been the same company. They've always built personal computers, and uh, and, and so they're, and that's one of the reasons they're so good at what they do is because they never, they just keep mm. doing the same thing and getting better and better at it. Um, the 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 challenge for Microsoft is um, the software licensed software business model is kind of going away. Like the way you make money, particularly in consumer, is. Mm. Uh, through ads or through selling hardware. And and so they're they're having if they want a future in the consumer market, they need to develop this this capability. And um and so that, yeah. that that is that is a justification, which I'm surprised more people don't make, but it that's one that I can certainly uh appreciate when it comes to their their hardware efforts. Yeah. Interesting. I'm curious to try this thing out. Yeah. I heard the reports were pretty positive. Yeah, no, definitely, and um, you know, in, in like, I, I think you know, the the, the challenge is going to be, um, I don't know, I think about something like like Connect, um, which which was it, it was a great fun to use first time to use it, but then it's kind of like, what's the point? Like, not, I'm a little wary of like how you actually control stuff. I thought the most compelling one was the Skype demo, like where someone helped you install a light switch. Um, did you read about that? Like basically like, so a lot of reporters got tried out and one of the ones they did was they literally gave you like a white switch that was disconnected and said, you need to put, you need to put the light switch on the wall. And so the idea was they call someone and then someone comes on and they can draw, basically you're drawing and, and you oh, do this point to this and, and you're seeing, you're seeing it in front of your face. And so, you, and they were actually installing a light switch, even though they'd never done it before. Like that's, that's, that's certainly very compelling. Um, but again, that's that. I think that's more of a. Um, for now, it's a destination. But you can see, you could see, you could see where that could be a companion too. Yeah. No. I. I mean, and the thing is, um, the thing about this that I like versus uh, Glass is that they're not trying to go straight to companion. They're recognizing, okay, it's probably going to be destination, and we're going to get people used to the idea that they stick these things on their heads as a destination. And then we might slowly expand. Like I can see augmented reality expanding into companion from there and, and using destination as a mechanism, almost as a bridge to get to that end state. No, totally. And, and, and there is a bit of a platform aspect to this, but the platform is not, um, is not necessarily building uh, apps on it. It's more building services on it. So you could have like the plumbing service or the electrician service or the guide service or the like all you could you could see a future where you can dial in to someone and they they can walk you through whatever you're doing and so that's and that's interesting and and, and Microsoft is a platform company you know and that's and so that that fits so the, the net of it is is I, I think it's interesting I, I I like the product I'm just 
I, I don't know why it was in this presentation. And I'm disappointed that because I feel the presentation, there was enough in it already and there was a vision to be articulated. And one, it got drowned out. And two, it wasn't even it wasn't it got drowned out one by by PR because of this product was there. But two, it got drowned out by by being too focused on Windows. And so that's why I'm frustrated. Like it's, it's one of those things where. Like there was there was there was lots of good stuff here. It just it was just mixed together wrong. Yeah, which is. Which is basically the, I mean, it, I, it's basically your characterization of Microsoft right now. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, so uh, anyhow, that, I, I'm, I got that off my chest now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write, I'm gonna write stuff, something up along this lines um, for, for the update. So sorry, I kind of gave some of it away. But uh, oh no, I, I, I think it was interesting. Um, but I, I was bracing myself for a bit more of an explosion than what really happened. It was, it was Ben. I, I have to say, by your standards, that was actually pretty meek in terms of being angry. Well, uh, well, we did put it off for a while. <laughs> I managed to, ta- I managed to dampen you. Well, it, uh, I'll have to remember that trick. It, it's a different kind of frustration because it's not a frustration where, like, like under Balmer, it's like, what is this company doing? Like, this is just mm. stupid. Like when they reorganized the company, I wrote a few, a few posts about that. Just like, just. Just a fun, mm-hmm. what like what what are you doing? Um, whereas now this is like a, it's there. Why can't you grab it? You know, yeah. it's like a, uh, it's it's a like you're it's not it's no longer you're helpless. It's like uh, it's like you're almost there. Can't you see it? Can't you grab it? Um, which which in the grand scheme of things is is probably a pretty encouraging development. I think it's an incredible development, to be honest. Again, I. I for, for we talked about um, we talked about Microsoft on the very first um, podcast, and I just think in in the amount of time he's been CEO, he has done a remarkable job. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I wrote I posted that on Twitter, I think, or no, I wrote something in in the update, basically about like um, I did the Christmas gifts for like top companies, or whatever, and for Microsoft, I'm like they already got the best gift. Like, I mean, Nadal's first year, I think, was pretty incredible. Um, I'm Again, I thought his his speech at the you go back and watch it's like the last ten minutes. I thought it was <laughs> terrible, uh, and I was very frustrated. Um, but I mean, there, there's lots of countervailing evidence, so I guess we'll have to just count on that. All is not lost. Yep. This was fun, as always. Yes. Uh, so uh, we covered uh, quite a few things, but um, definitely appreciate all the feedback. Um, <laughs> Good talking to you as always. Yes, absolutely. And I'll speak to you next week. All right. See you later. Bye.